I just feel that it is a lifetime of trials and experiences, but the Lord has been there and we've walked this journey together. There's been a lot of layers of disobedience and some of what's happened to me has been at my own hands, but I understand the difference and that's where I am today. I understand what I caused and what was just the evil of those perpetrating it. It was not my God doing this to me. It was not some fault of mine. And it makes me the woman I am now. And some, I, I joke that I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm somebody's gin and tonic. You know, I mean, it's just like. <laughs> you know, you can take me or leave me. There is an off button. <laughs> Hi friend, welcome to another episode of the 8,000 Promises podcast. I'm your host, A.D. Tilford. I'm a Jesus-led, trauma-informed educator, leader, and writer, serving God in my local community and church. If you believe like I do that this world needs safe spaces to talk about God, faith in action, and complex topics so that transformative change can take place, this podcast is for you. You'll hear from a range of guests, experts in fields of psychology and faith, and everyday friends with meaningful stories to tell. In this series, you'll hear deep conversation and supplemental writings from people who are amplifying voices, partnering with God in ways that help others know that God sees and hears every person, including you. So when you're ready, lean in and embrace what God has for you today. Let's go. Hey there, friend. Just like I've been doing before each of the interview episodes, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up about what my friend Michelle Vrabel and I are going to talk about in today's conversation. She and I talk about the concept of Amplify and how it can start with your own inner work and your own voice and then eventually sometimes become a journey of deliverance for other people. We talk about her book, Butterfly Stitches, and the challenges of writing a story that includes really traumatic events. And we also discuss the journey of becoming a podcaster. It is never too late to learn something new. Before that, I do have one small favor to ask. It's a favor that will help get Michelle's message to more people. And it will make sure that you don't miss a thing that's happening here on the 8,000 Promises podcast. If you would just take a minute, to make sure you have followed the show. You can do that by clicking on the three little dots in the upper corner of your podcast app and make sure it says follow. And would you consider writing a review or submitting some stars? I mean, really, we prefer five stars. (laughs) And that's how the algorithm of your podcast app is gonna suggest this to more people. And I'm telling you, If you share this with one friend in some format, whether that's a text or whether that is on social media, even if you like one of my posts on social media, that can help get this message to more people. So would you consider doing that for me real quick before you listen to the rest of the interview? That would be so awesome. Thanks. Now let's get to it. My guest today is Michelle Vrabel. She is an expert bean counter by day. Her superpowers and side hustles include pastry chef and author in training. Her writing coach, Bob Goff, says she has sass, which she deploys regularly. She is nearing the finish line with her first book, Butterfly Stitches, and according to her king, apparently has several others in her. Michelle is available and lives in Mesa, Arizona. She has a daughter in college who lives with her and is lovingly known as Peanut. She is a passionate traveler, foodie, smart aleck, and lover of her King Jesus. She's also the host of an awesome podcast called Old School. You'll find some of those episodes in your show notes. And next week, February 21st, I will be the guest on her podcast. We had a really good time recording these two interviews back to back. So you might catch some of those crossover things if you listen to both her episode and mine. We do talk about different things in the two episodes. Obviously, she's interviewing me in 
hers. So if you want to know a little bit more about A.D. Tilford, go on over to Old School next week and check it out. So her podcast, Old School with Michelle Vrabel, was born out of the journey of writing her book, Butterfly Stitches. (laughs) Michelle says this. I had always wished that someone smarter than me, and that is most of the population, would have given me guidance on a variety of subjects. Her philosophy is everyone is older than someone and has something to offer. Her hope is that even one person can glean something that might save them from some grief in any of the quadrants of areas discussed on the podcast, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. I've really enjoyed listening to her podcast. You'll hear me compare it to another one I love in our show. So without further ado, let's get to that conversation between Michelle Vrabel and I. Here we go. I want to give a little content warning for all of you precious listeners. My guest today, Michelle Vrabel, and I may be talking about really tender issues and stories around childhood trauma, abuse specifically, and sexual abuse potentially. And so I want you to take care of yourself. Listen to this at whatever pace you feel comfortable and just know that you are loved and it wasn't your fault. Amen. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today on 8,000 Promises. I am thrilled to get to have a conversation with you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Michelle is the host of this super fun podcast, Old School, that I shared with you in the intro And so, Michelle, I'm trying to start this series out with a little bit of, I don't know, lightheartedness because some of our topics get heavy. So your show reminds me of the Apple podcast show of 2023 that I actually really love, but I heard your show first. So I, you know, don't know what that means. She copied me. Uh, Uh, that's my award thank you I'll thank you all the little people (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes the show I'm sure many of you are familiar with it it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus's wiser than me and it's brilliant it's Julia who is hilarious as obviously Michelle also is hilarious (laughs) she interviews women who are well known and who are always older than she is, which is one difference for your show, but she uses some of the same terminology that she's going to be schooled by these ladies or they're going to school her. And so I, when I first heard her show, I actually thought of your show, which is kind of fun. Fun. And I've really have to go on there and see if I can make some sort of cross promotion. (laughs) Yeah. Get it connected. So my question for you today is if you could interview any woman in a generation ahead of you, who would you interview? And what would be maybe one thing you'd really want to know about her life? Well, and I appreciate, I think you, you just said that you'd like to keep that lighthearted and what have you. And so many things went through my head when you sent me those questions, you know, I was thinking, okay, the, the, in the Christian wheelhouse, like Beth Moore, but she's only like five years older than me. Um, But she's had her book, All My Knotted Up Life is, you know, got some of the same things in it. And, uh, you know, but I'm 61. So people older than me are dead. (laughs) Yeah. So who you can pick a dead person. It's fine. (laughs) So, but and it's a little of a serious nature in a degree. Uh, Who I thought of was my mom. The abuse I suffered when I was really young was by at the hands of my biological father he beat my mom and my brothers and I and my mom almost to her death and she not once throughout our lifetime badmouthed him not once and she was one of those people that everyone who met her just adored her she's this tiny little thing five foot four barely a hundred pounds soaking wet and towards the end of her life she she had smoked most of her life, like a lot of people of her generation. And so she had lots of health issues, but towards the end of her life, she died before she needed to. We knew it was going to probably be in the next year or so, or two years of when she did, but she had some things going on. She was choosing some things in life. She kept a wall up to even her children about. And so I would like to interview her and see if maybe, you know, now, now that she's seen the face of Jesus, 
if she would, you know, talk to me about that, because I think that too, like if she were here and I was able to even share my book and the parts of that journey that, you know, clearly cross with her, that just would have been cool for me to get the answers to that. And I, I wasn't able to get them when she was alive. So that is who I think of when I think, because I don't really have, I mean, people, women in, in the world who I think of as I want to emulate them necessarily. I'm not saying there aren't great women out there who are in their seventies ahead of me, but there's nobody that comes to mind that I just hang on their every word. You know what I mean? So that's what I would do. (laughs) Mama. (laughs) I love that. Do you know what I love, especially too, is that Julia Louis Dreyfus interviews her mom every time after she talks to someone. Oh, she ends every episode calling her mom and about the interview. It's so tender and beautiful. I love that. And I know if my mom were alive, my mom hung, she was so cute. She called herself techno granny and (laughs) she followed me on Facebook. She had a Facebook page. She didn't know how to operate anything. And her words were like hieroglyphics. She would send these messages that we had to decode. And I got them from everybody after she passed away. And I'm going to create a little book called Maddie Grams. Her name is with Madeline. She went by Maddie. But she would reach out every single thing my daughter and I did. She would reach out. So I know that she would be listening to the podcast every time. And she would have something to say every time. So that is just so awesome. I'm going to have to go listen to her now. <laughs> They're great. They it's, and it's, you know, well-known women. So some of them, I, I haven't known who they are. And it's been cool to have experiences where I'm like, oh, she's great. And wow, I hope I sound like that when I'm in my eighties or there's been one, some that I'm like, you know, I'd like to make it to my eighties. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's just been a really fun show and, and because there are guests that I'm like, oh, I don't, I actually don't want to have those kinds of answers. Like it makes me think differently of, okay, am I living in a way that that's not my answer at that stage of life? You know, yeah. uh, sure. so it's, been, it's been a cool thing. There is definitely cussing. So, um, yeah, you know, I can I, imagine that. <laughs> And there's like so many times I laugh so hard and there are times I tear up because it's really beautiful to hear someone share about their life, which I'm so excited that it lets me open this up to you. It is an honor to have someone share their sacred story. And Mm -hmm. I am so grateful that you are here to do that with us today. And Mm -hmm. the word I use is snapshot. Would you give us a little snapshot, which is so hard when you've lived a life. But <laughs> and a long one. My team tells me I'm not allowed to say I'm old, but I mean it. it you oh, know what? When, when my writing coaches told me I need to speak, that t- it terrified me. Yes, some because of being up in front of people, but some because my first book is going to be approximately 75, 80,000 words. Well, how do you put that in 15 minutes and land the plane? you know, and make sure that you're honoring God or you're doing your story justice. And so that is a that is a thing. And, and for, for me to take a couple minutes here and go, this is Michelle. <laughs> right. That's it. That's what I'm saying. Could you just do this? And could you put 60 years in three minutes, please? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, do, I mean, I think the best thing overarching is just that I am, I don't think I'm unusual, but I think the way I've gotten here is And that is because of the presence of my savior in so many layered ways. And that's how my story gets me here. Definitely a lifetime of different types of abuse and trauma, but not a lifetime of victimhood and not a lifetime, not healing. Bringing me here to this point today, I'm divorced. I'm a mom of a beautiful, godly daughter who's 23. I'm writing my book finally in obedience to the Lord. I'm doing a podcast because somebody told me to. (laughs) I'm going to start speaking in front of people, which terrifies me. But, you know, I have not had one experience that the Lord has asked me to do or led me in where he's broken a boundary and pulled me out of my comfortable little chair in front of my fireplace here at home that has not been incredibly a blessing. Uh, it's terrifying, 
I, I liken it to being on a roller coaster in a tornado. You know, being on a roller coaster sometimes is fun, but if a tornado hit in the middle of it, you'd all be going, okay. I just feel that it is a lifetime of trials and experiences, but the Lord has been there and we've walked this journey together. There's been a lot of layers of disobedience and some of what's happened to me has been at my own hands, but I understand the difference and that's where I am today. I understand what I caused and what was just the evil of those perpetrating it. It was not my God doing this to me. It was not some fault of mine. And it makes me the woman I am now. And some, I, I joke that I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm somebody's gin and tonic. You know, I mean, it's just like... <laughs> You know, you can take me or leave me. There is an off button. <laughs> you gave a couple of beautiful metaphors in that of just the roller coaster in a tornado. I've never thought of that, but there are times in my life I could say, yeah, that that is the exact description of that time or that situation or that one event, right? That that is true about and then, oh my gosh, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm somebody's <laughs> gin and tonic. And you know, people that love gin and tonic, they love gin and tonic, right? Like it's the drink, right? And I'm a also, connoisseur. I have my uh, high botanical game too. So I'm, cool. you know. <laughs> okay, good to know. I wish I was in Arizona. We could have, actually, I cannot drink gin and tonic. I had an experience with gin and tonic that I was like, oh, I should not drink this drink well and the today's gin and tonic is way different than back in the day when it tasted like rubbing alcohol smells now they've really up <laughs> they've up distilling the botanicals and it's so flavorful i don't drink any alcohol straight but they've upped the game so well with gin that you almost could you almost and you want it to rise above whatever they're mixing it with so i i think it's really had a you know, an evolution. Um, not that I'm trying to, you know, promote drinking. But I'm just but saying what, you, what you're adding to this metaphor and in thinking about your life and saying that you started in a home that was really chaotic and it maybe was more like that old gin and tonic, that old gin that was like rubbing alcohol, <laughs> right? But that as you have journeyed along life and you're at this point now where the botanicals of who you are are rising to the surface great love that right? and that you don't need to be mixed with anything else like you are all that there is right that's a oh I love that metaphor <laughs> fabulous yeah. I like your addition to it <laughs> well, you said it I just uh pointed out how it connects to your story right that's awesome yeah well thank you I know three minutes for 60 years of life is I don't know if you want me to say that three minutes for an entire <laughs> life lived so far <laughs> um, that's actually like, one thing and this is your life is like flashing before me. <laughs> I, know, I know and Julia Louis-Dreyfus always asks the ladies like can I say your real age and they're always like yeah do it <laughs> I don't have a problem with it the people around me get all bunched up they are like you're not you shouldn't call yourself old um it, it's like degrading your god's creation and i'm like why how is that degrading that's my literally that's my age that is a component that's a component of who i've been created to be i was created well in knit in my mother's womb but let's say on my birthday i'm 61 years old and and that's we're all one day older from the time we're born so let's just calm down. Like when we even ask somebody who's 20, how, how old are you? I'm 20 years old. So I'm 61 years old. You know, it's fine. I, I had no problem with it because I can't do anything about it. Now I have a team of people I call my fantasy me team. They help me not look 61. I don't, I've been told I don't <laughs> look 61, but that doesn't change that, that, you know, that the engine might still... <laughs> Yeah. And I think there's something, I think that's why I love that show because culture says women aging is bad. 
But God says, I designed you to live in a time for a purpose. Like it's good. Your 61 years are what I made you for. Right. And I just think like, how can we, we, I mean, we're called to be countercultural as Christians. So own it. Not, Love not it. To mention, it's our fault that aging is an issue at all and right. death. So yeah. let's just all calm down because it's our fault. <laughs> He designed us to live forever perfectly in the Garden of Eden. So we mucked it up. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, okay. The the series I'm doing is called Amplify. And you're one of uh, the four voices that will be talking on this subject. The word amplify means to increase the amount of and to become more marked or intense. When you think about that word amplify, what comes to mind for you within the context of your story or your ministry, this podcast that you're launching, the books you've been writing and yeah, the journey that you're on. It immediately evoked for me, why, my why, because that has been amplified more and more. 10 years ago, when the Lord asked me to write this book and I drug my feet and I was like, no, I'm not an author. Are you sure you have the right girl? He was pointing out, he was dragging me in to putting my story down, even if it was just for me, which in that moment, I asked him for a piece about understanding it. And it, and it seemed like it was just for me, but get started. And I did pull some things together, but I didn't get going. Then I went through my divorce and I was on my face before him about, you know, I thought the infidelity in my divorce was bad enough, but the conduct during the mediation and during all of that was devastating to me personally. And it was a choice I made. I couldn't look at the Lord and say, that man you gave me, I chose him. I didn't even pray about it. We were unequally yoked when we got married. But in any case, once I went through that, I was like on my face and he tapped me and reminded me. This is where your story continues. So I started writing it and I'm like, okay, is this just for me? And I got, he and I sit in my living room and I speak out loud when I pray with him and we've dispensed with subtlety. So I felt like I got an audible, this is for you right now. So I had a piece about that. So I was like, okay, good. I don't have to feel like other people are going to hear this. So I start writing. And then a year or so in, compel for whatever reason, I don't even know how I found it, came across my, I think because I was reading Uninvited by Lisa Turkers, which is a fabulous book. And so I joined Compel, went through some of the courses, wrote a couple book proposals, realized, okay, now he's saying this, now it's going somewhere. Now it's supposed to get out there. So last year around this time, maybe a little sooner, he gave me the firm indication that I was supposed to get a, a writing coach or a mentor of some kind. And I actually reached out to Tracy Miles. I reached out to several people and then somehow, I don't even remember how, I ended up in a conversation on social media with the guy who handles the coaching for Bob and Kim. It's a combination they do. He has the Oak Center in San Diego as well, where he does a bunch of writing workshops and stuff. But this guy, somehow he and I ended up in a conversation and he... He actually needed a bookkeeper. I'm a bookkeeper by day. And, and I joked with him. I go, I can do it from online. He's in California. And, and he laughed. He never took me up on it, but whatever. <laughs> so anyway, I all of a sudden realized through a phone call that he and I have that there was a affordable version. <laughs> there were three layers. I could not afford the top layer, could not afford the middle. And I could feel him forming the bottom because he wanted me to have this. He heard my story and he wanted me to have this. So I signed up. So in January or February, I had my first joint meeting with them. And then I, you got so many meetings over the course of six months. And it was divine. It was a divine appointment. The Lord situated this, both of their reaction to what I'm trying to do and the story I'm trying to get out there. Every bit of it was the Lord breaking boundaries and bringing that story forward and just reiterating in my brain that this is about it working together for good. That if I don't, I don't sit as a victim. I don't, even if I never publish the book, but if I sit here 
and don't in obedience do this, then nothing that happened to me is working together for good, except for with just me. And, and that's not right. That's not the way our story is supposed to work with him. So he made that very clear. And then it, the ball rolled from there. Bob told me I needed to, you know, do the podcast. So now the reach is further. Don't worry about how many people are liking, watching, downloading. Yes, we want to reach people, but for each individual one that's actually stopping and listening and reading, boom, where his the story he's asking me to do is out there. So when you talk about Amplify, some people get pretty crazy on social media and they're willing to pay these companies that'll drop 10,000 followers in their stuff. And that probably would make agents and publishers happy, but I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to be disingenuous. I'm going to come with the people who've shown me that they want to be a part of my life and have stuck around. And uh, I'm trusting that the Lord knows who my agent's going to be, my publisher's going to be, who my people are going to be. And like a story we chatted a little bit about before we started, I heard a message by Jen Wilkin about Rahab and how she had not from childhood wished to be a prostitute, but that the way the the world was around Jericho at that time, her family needed all hands on deck. And so she had to be a servant or something. And so here she was put in this position. And the Israelites eventually, of course, come and tear down the walls of Jericho and rescue her. But if they had been obedient in the desert, they would have made it sooner and she might not have had to been put into that kind of servanthood. So their disobedience delayed her deliverance. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated at this message because I feel that my disobedience and not moving along and getting the story out there so that it works out for good for someone else, I delayed somebody's deliverance. And that's devastating. The Lord doesn't want me to sit in that devastation, but I definitely know he wanted me to hear it. Mm. and be convicted by it yes <laughs> well that's easy <laughs> I, i'm convicted by everything okay, i walk into church a song is going i'm crying <laughs> I, I i have similar tendencies uh, some of the things i heard you say that really resonate one is that god breaks down boundaries to amplify voices and i I've been thinking a lot about Isaiah 58 in this last couple of weeks and thinking about the repair of the breach, the repair of the broken walls, and that we get called to be in that. And that thing you said is God first has to sometimes break down those boundaries to make the next step possible. And then he invites us to help with the repair work. And that's beautiful in and of itself to think about. God moving like that. I also do think sometimes it's okay if the only repair work that happens is within you. I yeah. do think sometimes that that's God's move and God's work, but I do think God also invites people to use their gifts and talents and skills. And so sometimes you have a gifting you didn't know you had as a writer <laughs> or a podcaster or stand-up comedian. Uh, you are hilarious, Michelle. <laughs> and I hope whenever you're writing your messages that you just remember that you are very funny and we need lots of fun. Not everybody appreciates it. Back to the tea gin and tonic. <laughs> Apparently I love gin and tonic. So just keep the comedy coming. Keep the comedy coming. <laughs> but if you don't feel like God's saying you have to show us, you don't. Like it's okay if the work is being done in you or in your family, what, you know, sometimes it, honestly, sometimes the best gift to the world is that work inside of us because it does, it stops things from being dumped on our families or the people in our world and our community. Uh, when I say world, all the world, but like really more in our intimate community, right? Our world. Yeah. And then it stops the cycles of abuse or harm from continuing because we've allowed that repair work to happen. And then the story of Rahab just moves me to think that 
sometimes it's the fact that we give a testimony or you give your testimony and it actually leads to the deliverance of someone else. And you mentioned right at the beginning, Beth Moore's book, but I, I, I talked about this in another interview in this season, but her willingness to share about her childhood abuse, it really gave me the moment, one of the moments in my life of saying, if God can meet her and she has the same story, I mean, maybe God can actually meet me in this. Maybe I could actually be a partner with God the way she is. Absolutely. And yeah, so I tell more about that in an old uh, episode. I'll put them in the show notes. I think it's fascinating that you referenced Isaiah because that 10 years ago when the Lord tapped me, I was in a Bible study in Isaiah and it was dipping over into Esther. And when I originally started my book, it was going to contain the memoir part and the healing together. And now it's by my coaches, I've broken it in two, but there's so much about Esther that breaks into physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, that it just was a perfect lead in to the healing portion and the breach of the wall and our part in that repair. So that's where I was at when he just like pulled me out of that. And then you're talking about how it being for just yourself. Sometimes there is a huge portion of the writing as it began and where it is now that is not going to be in the book. And I have heard that from Beth Moore, some interviews she's done too, that her editor helped her because if there are people who are alive that committed these things, you know, you're all of this has to be cognizant, but yet still true to your story. So um, yes, sometimes it is more for us to get to the place the Lord wants us to be, to then be able to reflect properly how he brought his, his grace and healing to you. And you said that we don't want to live like glorifying the trauma. And I think that there's like a fine line of saying like, this is part of my story and I have had to recover and heal and be restored, but also not like, like triggering other people when they hear it. You know, I want people to know we're going to talk about real things, but we don't have to, like, we're not going to be going into huge depths Right. on these things be, or details because that's right. we we all if you've been there you don't need to hear the details no absolutely sorry it's just you already know like you already feel the detail enough right and so and it, merely it, mentioning it everywhere I've yes, gone even mentioning it causes it, that in fact almost always to a person I think you see this happen yes I want to acknowledge you yes. and your trauma and I'm letting you know I have it, but I don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> and I definitely don't want a major detail. I think it helps them reach a place where they're going to talk about it. But yeah. at that moment, they don't want you to, you know, hash it again with them. No, and I will say that I actually was really intentional about when I read Beth Moore's book because I was so nervous. I was really intentional about having a full day of space where I could read it and put it down and read as much as I wanted with but what was really wonderful that I had that space but also she doesn't she doesn't do the thing that I've had too many other times where I read a book and it's so detailed and it just wrecks me and I'm wrecked for way too long and so her book didn't do that to me at all and so she she did really honor that. And I think that's something we're learning through these trauma-informed practices, through through starting to understand how the body and brain and mind work. We're starting to learn, like, you don't want to put your story out in a way that somebody who's not ready is, is being impacted. But in a one-on-one conversation, if you end up sharing your story, you want to be seen and heard, that's really different than something public that But you don't want it to become somebody else's trauma memory either. Yes. And that your story is so traumatizing and you tell it now it's stuck in somebody else's brain. I mean, that is definitely not where we want that to go. And, and I, those are my kind of details. They would do that to somebody. I, I have tempered them because of my writing coaches. In fact, they've asked me to not cover tons of years, but cover specific 
really intentional, the traumatic moments, if you will, or experiences. And, and they do have some details. They have more detail than Bessemore's book, but they are couched in the story of my life, but it's still, I mean, every time I get on the zoom with her, she's crying and she goes, Michelle, I just keep waiting for this to get better. Mm. And I go, it, it will. <laughs> I promise. Well, and I will say that I read another, oh, I read a memoir that also had some more detail, but her preface was beautiful. And like, Hey, I'm going in. She says, I'm going into some detail because I need you to understand this piece of it. But she just gave that heads up. And I think that's some of it too. Like give people a heads up. I knew I might be skim. I might be like skimming it because my sensitivity, I don't actually, the detail makes my life harder. Um, so having that knowledge, I might say when I'm reading your book, I might be like, okay, I know in this part, I'm gonna like go a little faster, but I'm looking for the wisdom afterward. Right. I've learned that to take care of me. I have to do that. And each person reading needs to learn about this. But I think that's an excellent point. And perhaps in my introduction, I can, I can address that. And I I think that's excellent point to make because I, you, you, sometimes we can get into our story and, and tell the telling of it to, we have to stop and consider. And I did, when I actually was in front of that speaking, that group for my first speaking engagement, I did realize, okay, there's a couple of things I need to like step back and, and make sure that I'm not creating because I don't want it to sound like I'm glorifying the trauma I went through either. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people talk about their twenties and it makes it sound like they're glorifying all this drinking and drugs and whatever. So I, I, I do try to be conscious of it, but you're right. I hadn't thought about that. And that's an excellent point to maybe make an adjustment to my introduction. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's something I'm learning as, especially because I talk about trauma. I mean, that's what I, work on in the schools and stuff too is like so it's setting up spaces where we can encounter a story and give it the the sacred attention it deserves and also care for ourselves in it but that's hard work okay well we have talked about so many good things I would love for you to share a little bit more about your podcast I love your podcast I've really enjoyed listening to it I had a whole bunch yeah yeah well one of the things um I started a YouTube channel oh, um, before I even looked for writing coaches and it was called old school. It was just called straight old school. And on YouTube, it allowed me to do that. When it came to creating an actual podcast, I had to add stuff to it to delineate it. So I had it old school with Michelle Vrabel. My daughter was my editor. It was hilarious. I wasn't getting posted anywhere else, but YouTube. and. I wanted to focus on the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. I didn't do interviews with other people. It was just me. And so those videos are on YouTube. If you see those, but though, so when he asked me to do the podcast, I, I just thought it was somehow bizarrely different. And this is Bob Bob Goff asked you. right, Right. Now he just asked me in May and like two weeks later, he was like, I'll be your first guest. I go, okay, let me get situated. And he, he's so funny because he has a bunch of a team of people who help him. He was like, you just get zoom and you just get rev.com and you just do this and bing, bang, boom. Well, even his people <laughs> and him were telling me, um, there's a few more steps involved and I'm like, thank you. And he, he was telling me to go to this one platform that they do it for free. And the, his people are like, no, they don't. They do it for free for him. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, okay. So anyway, he was my first guest and he, and I go, all right, let me get myself together. And he goes, no, when someone tells you there'll be a guest, you say, will Tuesday work or will Friday work or whatever the case may be. He goes, don't let them get out of your sight without getting them on the books. And I go, oh, okay. Cause I had the first three people I asked do exactly that. When I reached back out, they were like, now, no. And I was like, oh, so getting guests is very interesting too. But anyway, he was my first guest. We recorded it. And a week later, I or in my, you know, I found my editor, boom, boom, boom. And we were off to the races. And I was like, okay, now I have to really do this. 
yeah, that's but I had had a concept in the YouTube that brought me forward. And so I even understood some of the technology. So it really was less foreign than it was terrifying to start okay. off with. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So is there anything that's like really funny that's happened or unexpected that? Hmm. You know, I, I don't know about unexpected because I don't really have like a framework. And yeah. so people still unexpected. <laughs> I did. Well, I had this one guy. Um, he's awesome. His name is Jake. He's on Instagram and he is like got a life coaching and, you know, it, he leans into everything, financial, uh, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, everything. Great looking guy, really funny guy, former Marine. And so he's got some language that is in my episode with him. It's coming out the end of January, um, but I want to sprinkle in. Make sure to go back and listen to this one. <laughs> um, I want to sprinkle in some guys. And so anyway, his nugget involved uh, an F-bomb, oh. but I didn't want to pull it out of his nugget because it meant something. I love it. I know people say that cussing, there's no good reason and it never means anything, but it does. It's who he is. And I didn't want him to not be who he is on my podcast because the reason I had him wasn't for his life coaching business. It was because he had shared on Instagram, a raw, vulnerable story about where he was and how he got here, where he is now. And I was touched. So I reached out and said something. And then he asked me privately about my story and we just had a connection. So then when I asked him to be on the podcast, he didn't hesitate, said it would be an honor. And so, yeah, his nugget was probably surprised. I can't wait to listen to it. I can't wait. I actually am such a fan of cussing sometimes. Um, I mean, I don't cuss in lots of situations and circumstances, but on my last episode of... My last episode of season two, I said shitty and I, I did this. I got so embarrassed and like turned a little pink and like, like junior hires saying the oh word fart. I, I cussed on my podcast and like, um, so anyway, it, but it was, and it was appropriate for what we were talking about and I didn't take it out. It was, it's true. There are just some things that cuss words or what get your message across if that's part of who you are. I did not want him to not be who he was. I totally expected that throughout maybe the episode, because when he talks on, uh, does his reels and stuff, um, he doesn't all the time. I mean, there are times when he is, you know, well, he's very articulate. He's well-studied and well-read. Um, I, I think he is using it in, in his, if you can say it, in the best way as you can to like, shake and rattle the people he's trying to talk to. So I didn't think, I didn't take it offensively. I mean, there may be some people who will, and I'm sure, you know, if I wanted engagement, I'm sure I'll get some. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of my recurring episodes will be with a group of girls called the Nerdy Bible Girls. And we hike together and we talk oh. about Jesus and I definitely cuss sometimes. And so that it's like this setting where sometimes when I'm out in the desert hiking, like I cuss and it's in the midst of talking about what God's doing. I don't even know. It's just so silly, but that's one of the things we laugh a lot about. And so I don't know that there will be cussing in those episodes because that's not the intent, but it could just happen. I don't it know. happens organically. Well, yeah. I have a new, like an episode that's going to get sprinkled in periodically. I have two ladies in my small group. I'm in a singles over 45 small group, and we all would like to meet a man that God has for us. And we're trying to put ourselves in organic environments to do that because it's really hard. It's hard. I'm hearing even from 30 year olds, but let alone in your sixties, if you even, even if you chose to go to bars or lounges or somewhere where there's some live music or whatever, the likelihood that there's even more than two men close to my age is probably nil. And on top of that, that I would be interested in them. They'd be interested in me. They'd be a believer, you know, any of that. So it's really hard. It's dang hard. So I created this group. Then we're going to do a podcast in January, an episode called Let's Meet, because we would also like to just go out and meet people. You know, we, we might meet somebody who's advantageous for work or a podcast guest or whatever it might be, but we're hoping we can get out there and maybe put ourselves in some places that men like to hang out to. <laughs> 
So is there anything we haven't talked about yet today that you really, Wait, we've really to share? <laughs> we've really talked about a lot. I mean, I'm my the way things are currently going that my agent requests and book proposals will go out before the end of this month, which is December. So I don't know when this episode's coming out, but sometime in 2024, I'll either get those answers or pivot to self-publishing and my book, which is called Butterfly Stitches, Metamorphosis of Healing will be, you know, on that train. You know, I, I it would be great if it was actually published before the end of 2024, but I know we will secure the vehicle for it. Let's do that. <laughs> so I hope everybody comes back and maybe goes to my website and, and subscribe so you can hear in the newsletter when it's going to happen. Yeah. Say the title again. It's butterfly stitches, metamorphosis of healing. Cause the next book that goes in deeper into the healing is called out loud, the sound of healing. And for people who don't know, butterfly stitches are, is an actual bandage that you put across a slit, like in your skin to hold the wound together until it heals. If it's too shallow for stitches, I had to have those. So it's a double entendre, you know, butterfly stitches is represented in all of its forms in this book. There were so many times that God was the one just holding it together. Yep. Mm. Yep. So I, and he has been, he gave me the vision. He gave me the title. He's given me everything. So I just know he's going to do what he's going to do. And I just get to be along for the ride. Well, thanks for inviting us along for the ride too. So that leads me into this final question about how God gives us these really intimate moments or intentional sightings where we are aware that it's God talking in the moment or showing us something in the moment. And I wanted to end this season with this spiritual practice called a God hunt. And I found this out of an excerpt from Karen Burton Maine's book called Making Sunday Special. A God hunt builds capacity for people to recognize how God is working in their daily lives. And so in the, this family at the table on Sabbath, they would go around and share a story of how they saw God at work. And so I would love for you to think of or share a story, either an answer to prayer or some unexpected evidence of how God cares for you, an unusual like timing of something. And so if you have another one, another little snippet of a story. I have tons. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's like, it's so special when we have tons, but for a lot of people, they have none. And that's, I think, I think it has more to do with they're not looking or they don't know how to see it. They don't know right. what it looks like. So they might be looking and saying, I don't get it. So that's why I think if those people who can share those, share them, this is what it looks like. This is what it felt like. Absolutely. That builds capacity for someone who right now says, I don't get this. I think of everything as a divine appointment, to be perfectly honest. He knows every moment of our day, every hair on our head. So there's not a whole lot we go through that he's, well, there's nothing we go through that he's not aware of. But since my divorce, he has been my provider. I have had people get annoyed with me when I say something like the, I'm alone and they go, words matter. I go, all right, I'm not alone. I'm by myself. I won this house in the divorce because it was the only place my daughter ever knew. So I fought for it, but it's not like it's some kind of grand prize initially because it had had some debt rolled into it from my husband's business. So anyway, the divorce completes. I have six months to get his name off of it, or they're going to, he and his lawyer are going to make me sell it. And I just didn't want that to happen, but you have to be working somewhere for a while to refinance or get a mortgage. And I had worked for our business for 17 years. I had not taken a paycheck, nothing. And he was not going to give me a reference. He, we weren't, we couldn't work anything out there. So anyway, the job I have now, my boss just all of a sudden had my resume pop into a job offer he had on Indeed. He calls me. It was so bizarre. I was about to accept a really crappy job because I was 56 years old. It was hard to find work. There's ageism out there. People, and they don't like longevity with something. So he calls me, he's got this be much better offer. I drive out there that day. I get the job. 
I I'm getting pressure because I'm coming down to the wire. I've got two months left before I got to get this done. And I cross paths with this mortgage guy who took the two years I had been teaching this life skills class at my daughter's Christian school and called that two years of employment. I made a thousand dollars a year teaching this class to seniors. It was nothing, but it was two years track record of employment. Mm -hmm. Then he took one paycheck from my new job, one, put that together, not only refinanced this house, but was able to cash out a little bit. So I didn't feel like I had nothing because I had nothing. I had nothing in any account. And the payment was several hundred lower than the original mortgage. So I was in this incredible provided for position. No one, no one believes me that I got what I got, including the interest rate I got. It was amazing. And it was solely a God thing. He was my provider. He was my 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 Abba Father, he was also my my mate, my you know that that close intimate relationship. He was showing me that you don't need to worry about being alone or by yourself, whatever you want to call it. You're here, so just press into me, be obedient with me, be a good steward of what I'm giving you, and I got you covered. And nobody believes this story. Everyone is startled at the story. They're like, no way, one paycheck. So it's completely God thing. God is so good and so cool and so kind. And God, one of the other scriptures that I've had a lot of encounters with is Isaiah 54. And I imagine it was maybe in your study as well. But when I re-went through it this last three months of, uh, during my sabbatical, I just noticed that this was the first time I'd, I've gone through it in different seasons with different things. Um, but one thing I noticed was that each of the, uh, metaphors God gives for Israel is a marginalized woman of the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought just how profound it is. And even in thinking of this little series, it's, it's four women sharing stories around their lives and how now they are amplifying voices. They're amplifying their own voices. They're amplifying the voices of others, but each of these women and you and these other three women all have stories that include marginalization by our society, our culture. And each of you so far, I have one more interview, but each of you so far has talked about this provision of God in the hardest times. And I think if you're listening to this and you're wondering who's going to take care of it, God will take care of it. It might not look the way you think it's going to look. It very rarely looks the way you think because us drumming it up doesn't, doesn't cut it. Like just for example, all the men I've chosen over the course of my lifetime, I, I thought they were acceptable, I think, or whatever my lack of discernment, what, who he has for me is gotta be worth the wait. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I believe I'm worth loving before I die. So I'm sure there's, he's out there. He's just waiting for me to get, be, be the woman he needs because I'm a handful. <laughs> um, you're you're an armful I love it <laughs> oh I like that <laughs> yeah uh, okay well thank you that was beautiful Michelle I I think it can be really hard in the moment to see those things and sometimes it does take reflection to say oh that was God at work or and, so, and then sometimes you're you're actually in the moment going like how is this happening if you're yep. in that moment, that's God, right? That if you're saying this doesn't make sense, people don't believe this. God is bigger than all the things we believe. Right. We're we need to stop putting him in a box or thinking he's not there because he's always working. We just have to realize, like I have girlfriends who say, God's going to bring me a man and just, I can just, I'm going to stay home and he's going to bring me a man. And I go, well, unless it's the prime delivery driver, you know, we, <laughs> we have to, we have to participate in this. Like he could fill my refrigerator if he wanted to, but he doesn't, he gives me a job so that I can earn the money to go to the grocery store. And he doesn't even stop me from getting bad crap. <laughs> and then I come home and fill the refrigerator. So, I mean, we have our part to play. And so if we're watching for his hand, if we're watching for his movement, 
it's so much sweeter. It's so much easier because he will let us go through a lesson multiple times until we get it. <laughs> so when you think about that, when you think about God showing up in that time, that was really kind of scary and filled with a lot of uncertainty. How has seeing God provide transformed your day-to-day life, day-to-day life since then? I will not for a second say I've been perfect or I've been completely obedient, but I told you about how I have that time in the morning praying with him. We've dispensed with subtlety. I seriously put every single bit of whatever provision I require at his feet every morning. It's just like forgiveness. You have to get up every morning and like walk that process again. Well, me trusting, he knows that my trust meter and my discernment meters have been beat to hell and he knows I need some help. And that is where he and I have walked and rebuilt my entire mechanism, my way of operating, my worldview, my filters. And I know that nothing I have, I know it sounds glib and churchy and Christian-y, but that everything I have is his. So when I tithe or when I give or I serve in ministry, I'm not giving him back you know what I mean? I'm not giving him of myself. I'm giving him back out of the, just the abundance he's blessed me with. And so I truly, truly operate every day on nothing I have and nothing that I'm walking is not been provided for by him. It really sounds like living into the Lord's prayer. Give us this day, our daily bread. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is daily. He knows better. He knows this daughter. If he tells me what's happening tomorrow or down the road, I'm going to go muck it up. If he told me the man he had for me was at the local Starbucks, I'd go over there and try and work it. Oh, it must be that guy. It must be that. Instead of letting something happen organically, he's going to do for me. I would muck it up. So he and I are on a manna, pick it up in a jar, one day at a time kind of a thing. Yeah. Love that. Oh, May we all remember sometimes manna is the legit way of God and day by day because day by day. so easy. <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am so grateful to have gotten to know you better. It's been awesome. Wasn't that fun, you guys? Michelle is so funny. Thank you, Michelle, for schooling us today. Here's one last little fun fact that I think is hilarious. Michelle's intro song on her podcast is a parody that she changed a lyric to say, I'm hot flash teacher. And you should just definitely go listen to her interviews, but also check out that song. It's pretty funny. I also think it's just so cool how when I'm editing, God will speak to me or minister to me through the messages of my guests. And I feel really grateful for that. My transformational treasure today is something that I've been actually hearing from God in a variety of places. And so it was extra cool to be editing this episode that was recorded a couple of months ago in this timing. It was affirming because I've been studying John 6 in the same time I'm trying to figure out some next steps that include financial commitments and resources. And to hear Michelle tell her story about God the provider of our daily bread. And just, it made me really think about how God keeps saying to stop worrying about that provision because I might end up missing out on the bread of life that God's offering. That's my transformational treasure from today that I need to keep trusting in receiving daily bread so that I can enjoy the bread of life. Would you think about joining me in that trust work today? Or be sure to use the Q&A in Spotify and let me know what your transformational treasure is or what questions you want Spencer and I to talk about next week when we go live and grapple with God. 8,000 Promises podcast is produced and published by me, A.D. Tilford. I always want to say thank you to my family for letting me pursue this dream for this time instead of working a typical 7 to 3 teaching gig. I also want to once again thank TIL Construction for financial sponsorship of the podcast. 
I love making this podcast and I am hopeful that it's making a difference one conversation at a time. And I'd love to invite you into helping me keep it going and even to making the move to having writing and podcasting be a full-time career for me. You can support me in that work by contributing even 99 cents a month through the link in the show notes. Every little bit counts. I would feel so honored if you would partner with me in that way. And I know it's so awkward to ask, but I, I feel like this is one of the things I need to do. Just put that out there. I hope that maybe someone's heart is moved to do that. But when you support the podcast, you are helping amplify voices like Michelle Vrabel's. Of course, if you want to connect with me or Michelle, you'll find all the links in the show notes. You can find Michelle at her website, www.michellevrabel.com, on Instagram at Sweetheart by Shelly, or on Facebook, Michelle Vrabel. You, of course, can find me at 80 Tilford Writes on Instagram, at Facebook, at 80 Tilford Author, and of course at my website, 80tilford.com. And please sign up for my newsletter if you're interested in my weekly writing that I do for my newsletter peeps. I also, of course, always send links to the podcast and other opportunities you can have to connect with me. And also I curate lots of fun resources for saying yes to living into God's promises. So check that out also through the link in the show notes. That's it for today. May awesome things happen for you in this hard and holy day. You are so loved. Bye.